Yes? Yeah, I'm registered in this class. What class? This is U.S. history. See the globe right there. Really? Hey. <laughs> May I come in? Oh, please. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell oh, ring and all my kids are not here. <sighs> Sorry I'm late. It's just like this new schedule's totally confusing. I know that, dude. Mr. Spicoli. That's the name they gave me. You're ripping my car. Yeah. Hey, bud, what's your problem? No problem at all. I think you know where the front office is. You dick! Welcome to How Is This Movie? My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Be sure to follow this show on Twitter, at How Is This Movie. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash howisthismovie. You can always reach out to me with questions and comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please take just a moment and leave a review on iTunes or on Stitcher. Here on Hit'em, I've covered a lot of different genres in film, from action movies to horror. But there's one subject that I've yet to tackle, and that's the topic that all of us have been through in our lifetime, high school. For most of us, these were awkward times, the last few moments of a 12-year odyssey into adulthood. My path through high school? Well, it wasn't the smoothest. I came home from school after the end of the 8th grade, ready to enjoy a well-deserved summer vacation, only to find out that my family was only six weeks away from moving to a different country. As some of you know, I am Canadian, and I grew up in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So as you can imagine, I was shocked to find out that my new home was going to be in rural Tennessee. The full scope of how big this move was didn't hit me until I began to think about the fact that I was going to be starting high school alone. Your freshman year of high school can be tough enough even when you have your core base of friends who you grew up with, but I was going to do this journey solo. Well, I survived the ordeal, and on future episodes, I will share some more detailed experiences from those years. In the early 1970s, a budding young writer named Cameron Crowe had a somewhat different high school experience than most. As a child, Crowe was very gifted. He excelled so much at school that he skipped a total of three grades and was only 13 years old when he started high school. Of course, he was noticeably younger than his classmates. Now, Crowe had two real passions, music and writing, and Crowe began writing about music for an underground newspaper called the San Diego Door, a paper that was infamous for its anti-establishment slash anti-war content. It was while writing for the San Diego Door that Crow caught the attention of famed music journalist Lester Bangs. Bangs was considered the foremost authority on music at the time, and he had a nationally published magazine called Cream. Bangs hired Crow to write for Cream. Now Crow would be given access to some of his favorite bands, and it wasn't long before Rolling Stone magazine asked him to begin writing for them. 
The first piece that Curl wrote for Rolling Stone was on the Allman Brothers. He would go on to write about Led Zeppelin, Bob Dylan, and David Bowie, just to name a few. Now, keep this in mind. He was doing all of this as a young teenager. Crow graduated from high school at the age of 15. And if all of this seems somewhat familiar, well, in later years, Crow would make a semi-autobiographical film about his life called Almost Famous. In the late 1970s, Rolling Stone moved its headquarters from California to New York, and Cameron Crow decided to stay in San Diego and focus on some new projects. Claremont High School in San Diego opened in 1958 with just a sophomore and junior class. The school was notable for having Richie Valens perform at its opening. At the time, Valens had two songs, Donna and La Bamba, in the top 40. The first graduating class was in 1960. Now, this is where this whole story takes kind of a strange twist. In early 1978, a then 22-year-old Cameron Crowe walked into the main office of Claremont High to have a meeting with the school's principal. He pitched a crazy idea. He wanted to write a book about high school life from the inside. He asked permission to enroll in the school as a senior and remain undercover for the entire school year. He would regularly attend classes, take all tests and exams, and even walk with the graduating class. The principal, to say the least, was a little shocked at this idea and immediately said no. However, Cameron Crowe's negotiating skills were top-notch, and once he found out that the principal was a huge fan of the actor-slash-musician Chris Christofferson and that it was possible that Cameron Crowe could arrange a personal meet-and-greet with Christofferson, The principal changed his mind and agreed. Cameron Crowe was thrilled at the idea of not just getting first-hand research for his book, but he was finally going to get a chance to be a high school senior, something he missed while working for Rolling Stone. Now let's take a moment and reflect on what was about to happen for Cameron Crowe and ask yourself this question. What would you do different if you were given the chance to redo high school, knowing all that you know now? Would you have focused more on your schoolwork? Would you have paid less attention to the popular kids? Would you try out for the football? Or basketball team? Or would you become everybody's best friend because somehow you could always show up at the high school parties with an abundance of alcohol? Throughout the 1978-79 school year at Claremont High, Crow witnessed everything that you would come to expect in high school. The social awkwardness of many, the invincible sports jocks, the mousy library nerds, and the meanness that was demonstrated by many on the few. But he was also somewhat surprised to see the level of sophistication that a few demonstrated. As the year rolled on, he began to focus more and more on six individuals. A nerdy type who would constantly get advice from his much cooler friend, a girl who had a much older boyfriend and would revel in tales about her sexual trysts she had with her beau, a brother and sister, the brother in his senior year, and the sister starting her freshman year. And he paid particularly close attention to the stoner-slash-surfer and how this individual managed to make it to senior year with no clear explanation as to how he made it that far. As for Crow, well, he made friends quickly. However, aside from the football games, he very rarely was seen at any non-school functions. He did, however, catch the attention of more than a few classmates due to his constantly asking to go to the restroom. On these numerous bathroom breaks, Crow was actually writing notes about conversations and scenarios that he had just witnessed. In early 1981, Crow published Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a true story. Now, this book is currently out of publication. In fact, it's become somewhat of a collectible item, with paperback copies going for an average of 40 to $50 online. And one thing that Crow did do was leave himself out of the story. He instead focused on the six main characters I described earlier. In 1980, producer-director Art Linson 
just wrapped up production on his directorial debut, Where the Buffalo Roam, a film loosely based on the life of gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson, and the film starred Bill Murray. Where the Buffalo Roam has gone on to become somewhat, somewhat of a cult hit. In 1981, he received an early, still unpublished copy of Fast Times and decided to option the book before it was even published. This time around, he would work on the film as the producer. He hired Cameron Crowe to pen the screenplay, and with a $4.5 million budget, set out to find a director. A fresh-faced NYU film school graduate named Amy Heckerling had recently made the almost mandatory move out to Los Angeles to pursue her dream of becoming a filmmaker. Sort of as her calling card, she had a short comedy film about a girl obsessed about losing her virginity before she turns 20. She used this short film as a demo that she would present to different studios in the hopes of finding a job. It was actually Universal Pictures that showed the most interest in Heckerling and gave her a few scripts to read. One of them was Crow's first draft of Fast Times. She loved the script. She immediately asked to come on board as the film's director. She noted that never before had high school students sound so real and genuine. Now, there were a few major challenges ahead for Heckerling. First was that Universal was giving a lot of pushback about certain scenes in the film, something that she was adamant they stayed. Second was the modest budget. Now, Art Linson knew he couldn't cast a lot of recognizable faces with a budget that low. Heckerling decided to meet with Crow after reading his book, and the two rewrote the script, dissolving the major plot and instead focusing on the most core parts of the book that she felt needed to make it into the film. As for the second issue concerning the budget, Heckerling surprised everyone by stating that she wanted to cast complete unknowns in the film. Now, this, of course, would help with the budget, but made the execs at Universal extra nervous when it came to marketing. It was, in fact, the unknown cast of Fast Times at Ridgemont High that really brought the film to life. And in many cases, it was this film that jump-started the careers of most involved. The six main characters of Cameron Crowe's book were played by Phoebe Cates as the sexually aware senior Linda, who dated the never-seen older man, Brian Becker as Rat, the nerdy type who would often seek advice from his much cooler friend, Damone, played by Robert Romanos. Look, what do I say to her once we get in the car? No problem, Rat. What you need is my special five-point plan. Come on, Damone, I need real help here. What do you mean? Hey, men have died trying to obtain this valuable information, you know. But I'll give it to you for free. Okay, okay, what's your five-point plan? All right. Now pay attention. First of all, Rat, you never let on how much you like a girl. Oh, Debbie. Hi. Two, you always call the shots. Kiss me. You won't regret it. Now, three, act like wherever you are, that's the place to be. Isn't this great? Four. Ordering food, you find out what she wants, then order for the ball field. It's a classy move. Now, the lady will have the linguine and white clam sauce and a Coke with no ice. And five. Now, this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Led Zeppelin four. This is a nice car. Yeah, it's my sister's. Yeah? The brother and sister from the book were played by Judge Reinhold, who played Brad, the high school senior, who, 
at first had everything going for him, his girl by his side, only a few car payments left on his car, and of course, stable after-school employment, all of which comes crashing down. May I help you? Uh, yes. This is not the best breakfast I ever ate, and I'd like my money back. Uh, okay. Uh, I believe you have to fill out a form for that. Uh, no. I'd like my money back now. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. You see, I have to fill out a form, and, well, you ate most of it already, so... You see that sign? It says 100% guaranteed. You know what the meaning of guarantee is? Did they teach you that here? Sir, if you just wait a minute. Look, just put your little hand back in the cash register and give me my $2.75 back, please, Brad. Sir, if you just give me a minute, I'll find the forms. I'll take care of everything. I don't have a minute. You've made me late enough. I am so tired of dealing with incompetence. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. Uh, is there a problem here? Can I help you, sir? You bet you have a problem. Your employee here used profanity and threatened me with violence. I'm surprised. I eat here all the time and usually have good service until today. All I wanted was my money back on this breakfast. It was a little undercooked. And he threatens me with violence. Now, I'm going to call your supervisor. Uh, I can take care of it. Mr. Hamilton? Did you threaten this customer or use profanity in any way? Uh, why? He insulted me first. He called me a moron, Dennis. Answer me. Did you threaten this customer or use profanity in any way? Yes. You're fired. I'm very sorry, sir. I'll refund your money right now. Hope you won't hold this against us. You know how these young kids are these days. Jennifer Jason Lee plays the sister, Stacy, the freshman, who has a strong relationship with Linda and, easily, one of the most tumultuous freshman years ever seen. You hear about the surfer guy who pulled a knife in Mr. Hand this morning? Oh, no. He just called him a dick. Dick? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, people exaggerate so much here. Linda, that girl looks just like half Benatar. I know. Wait. There are three girls here at Ridgemont who have cultivated the pet Benatar look. Janelle Zimbler, Mary Ann's Lotnick, and the red tights. Do you think guys find that more attractive? Oh, Stacy, please, give me a break. You are so much prettier than them. Yeah, I, I know. But you think they'd be better in bed? I mean better in bed. Either do it or you don't. No. There are, like, variables that I might not be good at. Like what variables? Now, Jennifer Jason Lee also did her own bit of undercover work, taking a job at the Real Perry's Pizza located in the mall. She did this to get a better understanding of her role. Rounding out the Ridgemont Six, as I call them, was the actor who played stoner slash surfer Jeff Spicoli. When Sean Penn was cast in the role, he had just caught the eye of many in the film Taps, and everyone was shocked at how different the two characters that he played were. After just two films, Sean Penn was beginning to show the acting range that he's now famous for. I think it also should be noted that during the entire filming of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Sean Penn never broke character. You worked at All-American Burger. Seven months ago. Uh, I knew it. Why don't you get a job, Spicoli? What for? You need money. Uh, all I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. Thanks. Can I use your bathroom? Yeah, go ahead. Right. It's the first door on the left. What, like up this ramp? 
First door on the left. Besides the Ridgemont Six, there were a lot of other notable actors in their first roles, including Nicolas Cage, who went by Nicolas Coppola, Forrest Whitaker, Eric Stoltz, and Anthony Edwards. Now, Nightmare on Elm Street fans will notice that Brad's girlfriend is played by Amanda Weiss, who, after Fast Times, would go on to play Tina Gray, the first on-screen victim of Freddy Krueger. Now, interesting side note... All of the actors in the film were over the age of 18, with the exception of Nicolas Cage. How can we not talk about this amazing cast without mentioning Mr. Aloha Hand, played by character actor Ray Waltson? C. D. F. 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 Three weeks we've been talking about the Platt Amendment. What are you people? On dope? A piece of legislation was introduced into Congress by Senator John Platt. It was passed in 1906. This amendment to our Constitution has a profound impact upon all of our... Where is Jeff Spicoli? I saw him earlier today near the first floor bathrooms. Is he still on campus? Anyone? Yes, Desmond? I saw him by the food machines. How long ago? Right before class. Okay. Bring him in. What is this fascination with truancy? What is it that gets inside your heads? There are some teachers in this school who look the other way at truancy. It's a little game that you both play. They pretend they don't see you. You pretend you don't ditch. Now, who pays the price later? You. Wait a minute. There's no birthday party for you here. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Hahn, what's the reason for your truancy? Just couldn't make it on time. You mean you couldn't or you wouldn't? It was like a full crowd scene at the food lines. Food will be eaten on your time. Why are you continuously late for this class, Mr. Spicoli? Why do you shamelessly waste my time like this? I don't know. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I don't know. That's nice. Mr. Han, will I pass this class? Gee, Mr. Spicoli, I don't know. That's nice. I really like that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave your words on this board for all my classes to enjoy. Giving you full credit, of course, Mr. Spicoli. All right. <laughs> Before Fast Times, Waltzon had appeared in over 30 different films, including Paint Your Wagon, The Sting, and Popeye. You know, another benefit of the decision to cast so many unknowns was it freed up more money to spend on the film's soundtrack. Another star of the film is the soundtrack. The producers were able to afford licensed songs from Led Zeppelin, Jackson Brown, and Don Healy, just to name a few. In fact, the film has no original film score. There's a few stock music clips from Universal's film music library used in the film but nothing that was composed for Fast Times. One thing that film studios are famous for is not putting a lot of money into advertising for a film they don't believe in. And this, of course, was the case for Fast Times. The execs didn't want to spend $1 promoting a film with no established stars in it. So on August 13th, 1982, Fast Times at Ridgemont High quietly opened up in theaters, and it came in fifth place. Critics at the time were not kind to the film either. But something happened. The people that did see it, mostly teenagers, 
began to spread word of mouth about the film. They would describe to their friends that this film actually captured what high school was like. The next weekend, the film made more than it did its first weekend. And by the time it was done its run in the theater, it had grossed a very impressive $30 million. Now, $30 million may not sound like a lot, but that was 1982. That would be the equivalent of a film grossing more than $100 million these days. Now, the soundtrack for Fast Times was also a best-selling album. And the film, I think, will be most notable, well, somewhat most notable, for introducing the rest of the country to the surfer-stoner culture that most people in Southern California were already aware of. Once in a generation, a film comes around that is a perfect snapshot of the reality facing a certain group of individuals. What's great about Fast Times at Ridgemont High is that that film can and will continue to be that snapshot. If you put aside the outdated cars and clothes and the lack of cell phones, the issues in this film are still the same issues that high school teenagers deal with. Let me take this time to personally thank Cameron Crowe. You see, the first movie I rented when I got settled into my new house in rural Tennessee was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It was a week before high school started. It gave me a glimpse of what I was in store for, and thus, I feel, made me better prepared. My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening. Got to